Welcome to Jefferson Parish Pulse powered by Jedco, a podcast designed to showcase the businesses, organizations, and individuals at the heart of the Jefferson Parish economy. I'm Kelsey Scram. So at a very personal fundamental level, it matters for individual happiness, health, and family stability. From the employer's side, it matters in terms of having a workforce. And if you don't have housing that um, people want to live in, it's going to be very difficult to recruit new businesses to a community. And you have to have a range of housing styles and price points in order to do that. And I know that's been a huge piece of JEDCO's plan and also Jefferson Parish's plan was how can we diversify the housing stock that we have? That is Marguerite A. Stryker, the Executive Director of the New Orleans Area Habitat for Humanity. Marguerite and her team are driving new and impactful projects across Jefferson Parish. Habitat for Humanity, with support from its many partners, volunteers, and donors, is helping to improve housing stock in the area and creating opportunities to make dreams of safe, affordable home ownership possible for more of our residents. On this episode of the podcast, our season five finale, Marguerite and I talked about several Habitat for Humanity projects happening in Jefferson Parish, including the Rebuild Project in Jean Lafitte and the newly announced Rising Oaks development planned for Terrytown. We also talked about the urgency surrounding the rebuild in Lafitte, the power of partnerships, and how housing and economic development are directly tied together. As you'll hear me say many, many times throughout this episode, these projects are exciting and will have a long-term impact on the Jefferson Parish community and economy. I hope you find this interview as illuminating and exciting as I did. Marguerite, thank you so much for being on the show. We're so excited to have you. I'm delighted to be here, Kelsey. Thanks for asking. Well, I want to just dive right in and start with introductions here. So can you give us the brief elevator pitch for the New Orleans Area Habitat for Humanity? With pleasure. New Orleans Habitat has been serving this market for almost 40 years. We were one of the first affiliates founded, and we are part of a national, actually it's a global network now of affiliates, and there are over 1,100 in the United States. But we are one of the larger ones, and we in fact have a multi-parish service area. Uh, we're best known for our work in New Orleans after Katrina, uh, and I'm happy to say that we're now getting very active in Jefferson Parish. Well, we love to hear that. It's tremendous work. It's so impactful. It means so much for our community. Um, and, and I do want to talk about some of those projects in Jefferson. So let's start with um, a few of the key projects that Habitat has been involved in in recent years. Maybe we can talk about that $4.6 million rebuilding project in Lafitte. Can you can you elaborate on that? Oh, I'd be delighted to. And before I jump into that, uh, I should also mention that one thing most people don't know about Habitat is that, yes, we're a home ownership program. Uh, that is our primary mission, but we do not give houses away. Uh, Jimmy Carter did not found Habitat. He's our most famous volunteer, but in fact, he's a volunteer. Um, what we do is we build homes in partnership with sponsors, donors, and volunteers, and the families that are ultimately going to buy those homes. So we don't give homes to low to moderate income families. We actually make them available because we build and we also originate the loans. And we're able to do that by providing the financing ourselves, and it's a 0% interest loan. And that, in fact, is what keeps the homes affordable. 
Wow. Now, in some cases, we build in partnership, like we have a program right now in New Orleans in partnership with the city and Nora uh, to build homes. And those involve third-party financing coming from uh, local banks. But those homes we can sell to folks earning up to 120% of area median income, as opposed to our traditional loans that we originate. And those we sell to people making up to about 80% of area median. Wow. Wow. That is incredible. And I think that's really great for people to hear and understand because that maybe is something that there might be some confusion there. So thank you for elaborating on that. I really appreciate the extra sort of focus in that area and, and highlighting that for us because um, I think that's really illuminating. So thank you. And, and certainly for, you know, and JEDCO is all about business and economic development. And what Habitat does is we are a great partner to develop workforce housing. Uh, we do, you know, we're not able to serve people who are homeless or unemployed. There are other fabulous nonprofits and organizations that service those communities, but that, in fact, is not our mission. And it and it's often confused. So I always like to take a minute and and kind of clarify that. Yes, thank um, you. And I did get a little off topic. Uh, we were going to talk about the uh, the project down in Lafitte. Uh, our goal in Lafitte is a little bit different from our traditional model. I mean, yes, we are going to be providing housing to working families that are desperately in need of um, permanent homes because, you know, so much of the housing stock in Jean Lafitte was completely destroyed. And the way we're building down there is different. We have a totally different floor plan and design. The homes have to be elevated. So we're building 12 to 14 up. Uh, that has brought uh, a learning curve and some specific challenges, but it's absolutely doable. And uh, we have a partnership with Auburn University's Rural Studio, and they've actually designed a house that is incredibly sturdy, um, and it has a really tight building envelope. Uh, it's built to a fortified gold standard, which makes it much, much stronger. We have uh, impact-resistant glass on the windows. Uh, we have, you know, 16-inch piles that are 45 feet long. We have double the number of hurricane straps that you see uh, that are required by code, well, we double that number to get to that fortified standard. Uh, we use a lot more nails. I mean, there's a ton of work that goes into building to a fortified standard, but it's definitely the way that all new construction needs to happen in South Louisiana. There's, uh, it's a change that's coming, it's needed, and it is the only way to build stronger and more resilient structures that can withstand these big storms because more are coming. We, we all know that. And in Lafitte, uh, you know, the population is a little different than what we see in some other areas. We, um, many people have operated in a cash economy because they might be fishermen or mechanics or, you know, hospitality workers or tour guides. And uh, so we have to be a little more flexible in terms of how we track um, information, uh, you know, we can work with people who may not have a credit score, but as a community, people tend to be like very thrifty and very careful about their savings. And they might have a lot of money hmm. saved, but they have no credit history because they don't believe in credit. Okay. So we're working to educate people, uh, and provide a, a much needed service. So it's, it's you know, requiring us to step up and be flexible, uh, but also to meet an incredibly urgent need because 
I don't know if you've heard, but FEMA is starting to say, all right, it's time to uh, retrieve the FEMA trailers. So people are going to soon be receiving notices about that. Um, and, you know, the, the need for shelter is urgent. So we're having to accelerate our timeline and we're going to be partnering with other nonprofits and community organizations to allow people to do their sweat equity in a very accelerated way, not just with Habitat, but also working with others because time is of the essence for, for Lafitte. Absolutely. My goodness. Uh, it, it's a tremendous what you're doing. This is so important. The number of houses that, that Habitat is building in Lafitte, it, it's 40. Is that the, the number that the goal? You know, our goal is at least 40. That's sort of how we're framing it. Um, you know, when you're requesting funding or donations of product, everyone must know, well, how many? Uh, the reality is it's going to depend on how many people apply how many people qualify, which means they have to document stable income for six months, and that can be challenging for some people. Um, and they have to be willing to partner with us. They have to want our particular program. And if they might not want our floor plans or our designs or our requirements, so it has to be a fit for both the home buyer and for Habitat. But uh, we have a list of over 100 people who are interested in the program. We have about 30 actively in our pipeline. So I'm, I'm pretty confident we're going to hit our goal. Uh, and if anything, uh, it may be too low. And certainly we can grow our program to meet the need. Wow, that's so wonderful. Jedco was down in Lafitte on the anniversary of Hurricane Ida to celebrate the first Habitat home that was being built through that project. It was it's beautiful. I know it's not finished, but we were inside that house and were able to write some really nice notes for the the homeowners. And it was just really, um, I really, really significant. Um, it just felt really nice to be able to come together on the anniversary of, of that storm. Can you talk about the significance of this first home being built in that area, what it's meant to the homeowners um, and that you were able to sort of have this this coming together on the anniversary of Ida and Katrina, I would say too. I mean, unfortunately, we've had multiple storms hit our coastline on that date. Uh, that that's all too true. Yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful event, and I really appreciate Jedco coming and supporting our event, and so many people who came, our donors, sponsored, elected officials, and just community members who care and also who are curious about like, all right, what's going on here? And, you know, it's important to come together because the reality is no single entity, whether it's government, whether it's the nonprofit sector, whether it's a church, whether it's a private individual or a business, there's not one single one of us that's big enough to tackle this entire problem. It takes the entire community coming together. So in that sense, having this gathering of true stakeholders who truly care, who are dedicated and committed to the recovery of our coastal communities. And Jean Lafitte is representative of that, but there are many others that are still in need and are going to be for a very long time. And, you know, the, the symbolism is there. And, and also it's, it's really important. And I think actually it's crucial, not just as a, a remembrance or a symbol of hope and resilience, but also in recognition of the urgency around the timing of rebuilding and what it takes, how much it costs, uh, how many players have to be involved in the process. And for the community, um, most of all, specifically um, by that, I mean, 
there are people who were displaced by Ida who have been forced, you know, their homes are destroyed. They're now sheltering with friends or family members or in FEMA trailers. Uh, some of them are local or regionally. Some of them have even been forced out of state who just want to come home. And right now, as we speak, people are making these life decisions. Do we try to rebuild or do I try to start a new life somewhere else that's not South Louisiana or Jefferson Parish? And we know that the people who live in Lafitte are crucial to the broader economy. They matter. Um, they have a right to live. They have a right to shelter. And we need to do our part to make it possible. Nobody there is asking for anything for free or for a handout. They just need a hand up. And certainly we've all needed that at one time or another. And if we don't provide homes where people can live in a reasonable distance to where they work, we're not going to have a seafood industry. We're not going to have a petroleum industry. I mean, this is the workforce that drives the engine that keeps it all going. And, you know, you can't say, well, just go live somewhere else. Well, a fisherman can't live two hours inland, not when they have to be out on the boat at, you know, three in the morning or whatever time they start. So uh, timing is, is really of the essence. And that's why we wanted to have a big event to call attention to the urgency around this situation and to encourage other people to support this effort. I think it's really important that you mention just how closely tied the the ability to have a home and to be in your home is to the local economy. Like you said, you can't be two hours away and then get on your, your you know, get out on the water and be fishing first thing in the morning. That's really tough. And so the fact that Habitat is down in that community and really focused on urgently getting these homes rebuilt is so incredibly tremendous um, and, and such a, a value. I mean, I think that's something that I, I really want to impart on people here is just the work that you're doing is really rebuilding a community and keeping people from leaving our community, which is very important to the overall economy. Exactly, Kelsey. I mean, you know, our community members matter. And, you know, in, in housing development circles and affordable housing provider circles, we talk a lot about, all right, what we see all the time is uh, you know, a scarcity of land, and it's, of course, costing more and more to build. Now, if we're building in town, it, you know, it costs us now 30 to 50% more to build a house than it did two years ago, right? We all know, we've all heard about the increase in lumber and steel and everything else, and the scarcity of things like windows and doors and trusses. But the other piece that's really critical in this is what it takes to actually build to build a fortified home costs more than a traditional home. To elevate a home costs more than not. So it costs more per square foot to develop this housing. And that puts extra pressure on those home buyers who don't have a lot of excess income. So, you know, we're, we're working very hard to figure out ways to reduce the actual cost to the buyer uh, you know, because we can build as efficiently as possible, but the reality is things just cost a certain amount, right? Businesses have to, they have to make a profit. They have to make it work. So what we do is we are seeking donations of product, like carrier air conditioning stepped up and they've donated air conditioning systems for every house that we rebuild in Lafitte, which is a tremendous gift. 
Um, we have, you know, companies that make other components of the building that are donating, if not the entire product, at least a piece of it. Other organizations and businesses are contributing cash donations because that will allow us to provide soft second mortgages, like think of it as buy-down assistance. So there's a primary mortgage that Habitat would originate. And then with the help of all of our donors, there's a soft second that's layered on top of the first mortgage and it's forgivable, all right? And that means that the buyer is only, let's say, you know, we get $50,000 on the soft second, 100,000 on the first mortgage. They don't have to repay that soft second. So that means all they're paying on is that $100,000 note. Well, that's a lot less per month than if they had to pay on the entire amount. And that is the difference between what makes it affordable and not in, in many, many cases. Wow. Did I get too, too uh, mortgage nerdy on all that? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I think that's, it's, it's okay. great for us to talk about that. I, I at the end of um, the episode, I'll, I'll, ask you to share some details about how people can get in touch to donate. And we'll also share that in our show notes. So um, I want to make sure that anybody who wants to volunteer or support these eff- this incredible effort can do so. I want to switch gears here a little bit because a lot of times I think people, when they hear about Habitat for Humanity, they're thinking about Habitat coming into an area after a crisis like a category for hurricane. Um, But as you mentioned, Habitat is actually building homes and making home ownership accessible to a wider audience all year round. Um, You've talked about that mission some. So to that end, I think I'd like to highlight, if if you're comfortable with it, the Rising Oaks development in Terrytown. This is a new walkable community on the West Bank that's really going to change the game for people who are looking to own homes in the area. Are you able to talk about that project? Oh, I'd be delighted to talk about Rising Oaks. It's uh, one of our most favorite projects. And, and you know, Habitat, sure, we, we're famous for, you know, the crisis work after Katrina and, you know, and after Ida. But the reality is we're not first responders. We are not the first in. We're much more on the long-term recovery side. So, you know, the accelerated pace in Lafitte, it probably doesn't feel like very accelerated because it's a year after, but housing is, you know, it is a big undertaking and it tends to take a while. Um, Rising Oaks is a piece of our long-term strategy to provide uh, beautiful, affordable housing. And, you know, that's consistent with our mission. And our mission statement is really simple. It's to responsibly build communities where families can thrive in homes they can afford. So, and this is our first opportunity to develop an entire planned community. In New Orleans, after Katrina, we developed the Musician's Village, um, and we are very much working on the shoulders of the work that came before. Um, Where this will differ is it's a much larger tract of land. We have 44 acres. It used to be a golf course. It was the old plantation golf course, which some of your listeners may remember from growing up. And we're able to create uh, an entire community with a plan. And it really started in the midst of COVID is like, all right, we've got this opportunity. Our board was 100% uh, behind, you know, making this long-term very major investment. Say, if we could develop a community, what would it have? What features should it have? And we're like, all right, it needs to be affordable, number one, but sure, 
It should be walkable. It should be close to employment. This new development is a quarter of a mile. It's walkable. You could literally walk from this property to Ashner on the West Bank. You know, uh, there are three grocery stores within walking distance, two drug stores, three schools. You know, so you've got healthcare, you've got access to grocery stores and other retail. It's right at the corner of Behrman and Bell Chase. And, you know, normally when we look at property and, you know, we're able to buy it because, of course, there's a limit to what we can spend uh, as a nonprofit. We, you know, we can't just throw additional costs to our buyers. We have to always be mindful about, okay, yeah, but we've got to make sure it doesn't, the end product doesn't cost too much. In this case, we were able to imagine and say, well, what should it be? What could it be? Because if people have to just drive farther and farther out to find property that they can afford, they tend to be farther away from all of those essential services. And if you don't own a car, then it forces you to have to buy a car or rely on carpooling. And that creates all kinds of broader ripple effects for a family. It's if you don't own a car, you know, you have to figure out how to get your children to school. You have to figure out how am I going to get to public transportation so I can then get to a grocery store. And the opportunity cost and the lost time has a tremendous impact on these families. Because if you are spending all that time figuring out a commute, it's less time to spend with your family, helping your children with homework or getting them to after school activities. And that has long-term ramifications for the entire community. So our goal with this community was say, all right, we want it walkable. We want it close to services. And we want it to fit with the community that's already there. Now, Terrytown, which is where this property is, you know, was developed uh, in the 60s. It's a mid-century modern community. And we're like, well, what if we develop something? We don't want to try to look like the French Quarter or the Garden District. We want to make it look like the environment that's already there. So we are designing new homes, but with a mid-century modern aesthetic. And we want homes that a, a young family would find desirable. So we'll be building two, three, and four bedroom homes. And then uh, working closely with Jefferson Parish and with Jedco's help, we were able to get a special overlay that will allow us to develop senior housing. So we'll have some smaller homes for a senior you know, and in this case, anyone over 55 um, who might not want the large three bedroom, two bath house, they want something more modest that they can afford. And it's also less of a burden to own. So we have a cluster of senior homes and they are intentionally placed close to lots of park space so that older people can enjoy being around children playing. Uh, there are walking paths. There are all these opportunities with baked into the design to create opportunities for social interaction. So people, and particularly for seniors, aren't isolated in their homes. If you go out to walk, you're going to bump into your neighbors. You're going to have this little pocket park where you can sit on the bench and talk to passersby and see children playing. And all of that is, is very much part of uh, the plan. Now, eventually, uh, and this is like the third phase of the project, we, we will have some mixed use components. So we'll be able to have intentional retail at the front of the property on the commercial corridor. And we'll be recruiting local businesses that uh, would like to have a presence there and that the community 
would like to see there. So there might be a walk-in healthcare clinic. There will be a local bank that has products tailored to a lower income community. We might have, it's my fondest hope that we'll have 24 hour childcare on site. Um, you know, so we're working hard to recruit those businesses and certainly uh, any business that's interested in learning about that, I please reach out to us because we'd love to talk to you. Uh, but we have some time on that. That's going to be a couple of years down the road. But uh, we, we're trying to be just as intentional about the businesses that are recruited um, to be part of Rising Oaks as we are about the entire design. When we started working on the concept for Rising Oaks, uh, you know, it started out as an idea and then it was finding land and then it was a sketch and then it was a fleshed out concept plan-ish, uh, you know, but in the early days you're looking you're figuring out, all right, how do we take an idea and turn it into something tangible? Uh, and one of our very first conversations uh, after we had begun meeting with, with JEDCO and the parish was also to reach out to the city council or the parish council, I should say, um, and specifically Marion Edwards, whose district uh, Rising Oaks is in, and also uh, Councilman Template because he's at large and he uh, of course, is from that district, and both of these gentlemen care deeply and passionately about Terrytown and, of course, all of Jefferson Parish. Uh, but their early support for this project um, has been essential to every aspect of the work that we're engaged in now. And, you know, Councilman Template was particularly supportive of the senior housing component and helped us um, he, working with Councilman Edwards, were able to present that to the full council to get approval to help us get the overlay to provide that senior housing. And, you know, having that as part of Rising Oaks was really important to all of us. We know there's a need and it's something we all care so deeply about. Um, but their work and the rest of the council has you know, they clear a path so that we can do the work that we need to do. And without their support, um, it wouldn't have been possible. This is so exciting. <laughs> um, I I love the vision. It's so it's so incredibly exciting. And the the type of neighborhood that you're talking about is what is so desirable right now. These these are the types of neighborhoods that we are trying to to build and and in some cases redevelop in Jefferson Parish. So this is huge for us. And I love that you're also talking about the mobility, the accessibility, the connectivity bringing, you know, social, the social piece together. That is so exciting. Um, and the fact that it's in Terrytown too, um, for our listeners, Jedco has a, a very invested um, interest in the Terrytown neighborhood. Terrytown was the first neighborhood chosen um, to be part of our neighborhood revitalization strategic plan program, um, which also included the development of a model home, which actually brought in a, a young family. So, it, you know, this all sort of ties together and it's it's helping us to to bring that next generation of home buyers in while also um, keeping the folks who are in Jefferson Parish in Jefferson Parish as they're aging. So it is, it's really exciting. We're, we're really excited to, to be a partner in this project in some ways. And, and I'd love to hear more about the timeline. What, what's the next step as we're moving forward here? We acquired the, the land last December and, you know, it's a big project. So of course there are many, many moving parts and components to it. 
but we are nearing the end of the final environmental study that's a requirement. Um, and then once we get that completed, we'll be able to literally start turning dirt, which we're thrilled about. Now, because it was a golf course, you know, there are no streets, there's no, you know, we, we've got to build that, sewer and water, put in a lift station. I mean, there are lots of, uh, we all can't wait to get to the houses, but they're, you know, we've, we've got to get the infrastructure built first. So we'll be starting that, uh, you know, in the next few months and then looking to be pad ready to start home construction late spring of next year. So weather permitting, of course, uh, this is New Orleans, so you never know about the rain, but, uh, but that's the goal. And, uh, you know, we are starting to uh, develop a list of people who are interested in becoming home buyers there. Um, although we're not doing active outreach yet, we, we have started a list and we'll continue to develop that. Uh, and we'll be working with families that are interested in learning more about it in, in the months to come. And I, and I know we've talked about this throughout this interview today, but again, a development like this, a community like this, similar to down in Lafitte, when you're building homes, that's, that's creating um, economic support, you know, like the economy and home ownership, it's all sort of tied together. So how does a community like Rising Oaks impact economic development? A development like Rising Oaks impacts economic development in so many ways. And if, if we think about it in two big buckets, if you will, you know, employers need a workforce, right? And they need reliable employees who can get to work on time and, you know, come and not be distracted by unstable living conditions, you know, at home uh, where, you know, there's predictability and security in their world. On the employee side, people need to live in a home that they can afford, right? And they also need to have a home that meets their particular family needs and what they desire. So if, if you have a family that might have um, an elderly family member that they're caring for, well, maybe they need some accessibility features. Maybe they need a separate entrance for this older relative, or maybe it needs to be under the same roof or they might have no children, they might have six children. So they need to be able to find housing that meets their particular needs. Uh, and that might also include things like, all right, I want a yard for my children. Uh, I need to be close to a school. Um, you know, maybe I have a teenager and I wanna keep an eye on him or her. Well, I wanna make sure I can get home in a reasonable time frame to do that. So. You know, all of this uh, has to fit together. And, you know, when you think about housing, it touches every aspect of our lives. And housing, it's not the sexiest topic. It's not top of mind for most people because most people have a stable place to live. But if you don't, and I can tell you that when you look to much broader things that everybody cares about, like the cost of health care, the single largest social determinant of health is housing how and where you are housed, right? So if you are in a house that's not in good shape, that isn't weatherized, where it's often cold or drafty, it might be moldy, it might be pest ridden, all of those things have very direct and specific costs associated with them that drive people to emergency rooms. And emergency rooms, of course, cost more than anything else in a hospital. So housing makes a direct and immediate impact um, on cost to the community. 
And, you know, the other piece to consider, you know, we're providing some senior housing. Um, if people can age in place, right, age with dignity in their own home rather than having to live in a state-funded uh, residential facility of some sort, well, all of those are costs that get passed down to the taxpayers and the community at large. So house housing is fundamental to all of that. So at a very personal fundamental level, it matters for individual happiness, health, and family stability. From the employer's side, it matters in terms of having a workforce. And if you don't have housing that um, people want to live in, it's gonna be very difficult to recruit new businesses to a community. And you have to have a range of housing styles and price points in order to do that. And I know that's been a huge piece of JEDCO's plan and also Jefferson Parish's plan was how can we diversify the housing stock that we have? And Rising Oaks uh, is a big step in that direction. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I think that's that's a great segue into my next question. I want to mention that we have been working with Habitat. I know you've been working with um, Jefferson Parish on these projects. Can you talk about that partnership and and how how we work together and and how that serves our community on a broader level? You know, for organizations like JEDCO and for local government, you know, the work of making change, I, I'm sure it must feel frustratingly hard at times because all of you are engaged in big picture, long-term initiatives. And for Habitat, you know, we have long-term initiatives, but we also get the feel goods of seeing a family buy their first home. You know, that happens for us on a regular basis. It's what feeds our spirit and keeps us going and, you know, motivates our donors and it, it, it's the secret sauce for all of us. Um, and I can tell you that working with Jefferson Parish has been an absolute delight. And I can say this um, at every level and in every interaction, uh, you know, from the simple things like, hey, who do I talk to? How do I start with this big project? I need your advice, or can you help me with a technical problem? Uh, phone calls are returned, emails are returned, um, documents are shared, meetings are taken. I mean, all those steps that go into nurturing a big project along the path to, to development, the parish and JEDCO have been incredible partners. And we, we are so grateful of that and so appreciative because it's not easily done. Everybody says, oh yeah, you know, just make this happen. Well, it doesn't just instantly happen. It happens because there's great leadership and there are solid systems in place and there's consistency and follow-up. So my thanks to all of you, really and truly. Yeah, th thank you for that. I, I truly, I, I think it's it's so exciting to be able to have this partnership and for us to be working together in this way. Um, and I know so many people on our team are so excited about these projects, specifically the Rising o Oaks project. We just know that that's going to be huge for our parish. Um, and we know that, you know, the the parish council is engaged in that, our, our parish president. It, it it's really lovely here in Jefferson Parish when you see so many entities and organizations, just the, the synergy and the collaboration that we have and the excitement that comes with seeing projects move forward is, it's just, it's, it's really a delight. I think, you know, a lot of times I'll talk about like working at JEDCO and I've been with the organization for about 10 years. It really is just such 
an exciting, an exciting place to work in that we're not just in um, the business side, though that is certainly our focus, but we're looking at things like housing and mobility and ex- access to to care, things like that. I mean, it's it, it really is such a holistic approach to economic development and being able to work with Habitat is a really exciting piece of that. So um, we're really excited about the partnership and look forward to, to continuing that for sure. Well, we are, we are too. And, you know, from that, we had early meetings with Jerry and with Kate and, you know, you all uh, provided introductions to people and everybody you all have introduced us to, we've continued to develop those relationships. And it's been a big part of the synergy, as you referenced, you know, in this whole project, because it takes the entire community or it just doesn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to talk about partnerships. You mentioned this early on when we were talking about the Lafitte project. Um, Habitat has countless strategic partnerships and really relies on help, help from volunteers and donations to make this work a reality. Um, can, can you talk a little bit more about that and, and perhaps how people can, can get involved if they're not already? We have many types of partnerships. I mean, certainly there are partnerships with JEDCO in the parish, um, carrier air conditioning. We have private and Greater New Orleans Foundation, Blue Cross Blue Shield. I mean, we have United Way. You know, there are all kinds of different partnerships and they all bring different pieces of this Rubik's Cube uh, to the party, right? Um, You know, if there's support for capacity building for Habitat so that we can hire staff who can be specifically dedicated to a particular project, that is really meaningful. Uh, you know, Whirlpool donates appliances. Um, you know, we've gotten IKEA cabinets. I mean, it, it's it's all of those little components. They're not really little. They really add up, and they make a big difference uh, in terms of what it's going to cost um, for that home buyer to be able to purchase that home. And if if a business wanted to to become a partner, how do how do they do that? The very best way would be to reach out to me or to Jay Huffstatler, who's our director of advancement. And either one of us would be delighted to chat with anyone about ways to get involved because there are many ways to get involved. Uh, Sometimes it's a straight up donation. Sometimes it's product. Sometimes it's a combination of a donation paired with having employees come out and volunteer on a site. Uh, We were part of a a project this week where GAF contractors, GAF makes uh, shingles and lots of other products that are related to roofing. Um, and the company came out, but they also recruited their customers and local contractors to come out and they put put on five roofs on five homes for low-income families. And I was at the after event and having the opportunity to speak with the volunteers who had, in most cases, never had the kind of conversation they had that day. And when I tell you these uh, early contractor guys were almost in tears talking about what it meant to them to meet a family where, you know, five generations had lived in this same family home and their relatives down the street and people coming together talking about growing up in these homes, uh, the damage, uh, the hardship after Katrina and then Zeta and Ida and how much it meant to them to have people they didn't know coming in from all over the place to just volunteer and help. It's an incredibly uh, 
joyful, humbling, and meaningful experience on every side. And, you know, Habitat can make that happen. So we'd love to talk to any of your audience about ways to get involved because um, it's not all about, you know, stroking a big check. Of course, we love those. They help. Every nonprofit needs those. But um, there are opportunities available at every level. And, and if you have a group of employees or your business wants to be helpful, we will absolutely find a way to engage them in our work. Wonderful. And we will we will make sure that we share some of that information in the show notes so people can get in touch with you. Um, I want to uh, switch gears here just a little bit and ask a couple of questions about you and and your time with this organization. Um, how long have you been with Habitat? I've been with Habitat for just about nine years. Um, you know, I owned a business in New Orleans before Katrina, and of course, I lost my home and my business in Katrina, and ended up uh, being displaced out of state for many years. And kept trying to come home. You know, this place uh, gets in your spirit and your soul and it's very hard to leave. And every every day, week and month that I was away, I kept trying to figure out, well, how can I come back? And uh, a, a dear friend who had served uh, Habitat on their board uh, and I were having coffee when I came home to visit one Christmas and he said, well, we're writing a new strategic plan and I'm working with Habitat and they're looking for somebody who can do what you know how to do. So uh, that led to a job offer to work uh, as their director of advancement. So I was the first to lead a combined department of marketing and fundraising. And um, I've been with the organization ever since. So I've been the ED since, uh, let's see, for three years now. So it, it's been uh, a challenging time to lead an organization, but it's also been uh, an incredibly exciting time. I, I would say that COVID for all of its horror and hardship um, also provided us an opportunity to slow down and think because we had to stop welcoming volunteers for a while. And it was like, all right, what are we really about? And it became a period of self-reflection for the organization uh, and for our board leadership. And everyone pulled together and said, all right, let's figure out not only how we're going to survive a pandemic and you know continue to serve, but what other ways might we serve? What can we do to amplify our efforts and increase our output? Because one thing COVID made abundantly clear to all of us is that, okay, people have to have a place to live and they don't, they shouldn't be overcrowded. That creates all of these other issues. So housing was related to the pandemic and the spread of COVID too. And um, that really led directly to a lot of the new initiatives that we're engaged in now, particularly Rising Oaks. Wow. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, I love that Habitat is what was what brought you home. I think that's really beautiful. Um, and what a time to be leading an organization. But I, I really, it, it's so lovely to see how you took, and I think we've seen this a lot with, you know, organizations all over is, and businesses and sort of having to pivot and think about how, how has the pandemic changed the future? And, and I really love how Habitat took that time to really reflect and and figure out how to how to make something work and and, and that rising oaks came out of it is 
It's very exciting. What is the most rewarding part about doing this job for you? I mean, it, it must be just so rewarding in so many different ways. It is. It, it's, it's, this work is a joy. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't sugarcoat it. It is hard. It is challenging. It is complicated. And, you know, I've done a lot of different things uh, in my life. You know, I used to own an art gallery. I was a business analyst at Intralox. You know, I've done a lot of different kinds of work, but I will tell you uh, nothing I have ever done has been more challenging or more rewarding than working at Habitat. It is, it is an honor and a privilege to lead this organization at a time of change. And I, I am grateful every day for the support of my board because no nonprofit uh, can manage without solid board leadership. And our board is very innovative. They are very forward thinking and they are they're strategic thinkers. You know, we all want to see real and lasting change. And of course, we want it to happen yesterday, but it doesn't. Uh, so, you know, maintaining that drive for the long haul is really what it's all about. And I think that for me personally, you know, having lost my home in Katrina, having lost a business, uh, I do have a perspective that some in my role might not have. And it makes it um, makes it very real and very personal for me to be able to serve families impacted by disaster or lack of opportunity or COVID or whatever that particular circumstance might be. But I do understand how challenging it could be to restart your life after something very, very difficult. And when Habitat is able to connect a family with an opportunity and a pathway out of poverty, um, that's the most meaningful and beautiful thing we do. I love that. That is so beautiful. I want to be thoughtful about your time here. I know we've kind of run a little long because there's just so much to talk about. What is on the horizon for, for Habitat? Um, anything that you want to share that you're excited about? You know, I, I am so excited about where we are as an organization. I'm. We were blessed to receive a gift from Mackenzie Scott. Uh, which has really been transformative for this affiliate. It allowed us to purchase a literally a city block of land directly behind our headquarters. So, and there are a couple of buildings on it that will allow us to warehouse building materials. We've been able to purchase heavy equipment instead of renting it. It is completely changing the way we operate. And that gift is absolutely what made it possible to restart. So yet again, it's an opportunity to all right, reinvent and optimize this opportunity. And in this case, it was a happy opportunity. And it's making it possible for us to think very differently and to think on a much larger scale. Um, so we're, we're excited about that opportunity. We're excited about really seeing rising oaks start to come out of the ground. And then we're also thinking about, all right, what else do we need to do? Uh, one of the big things we need to figure out as a community is how to adapt our current zoning to allow slightly greater density so that you can build more homes. Um, and that doesn't mean put in ADU and have Airbnb all over the place. It doesn't mean that at all, but it means maybe there's an opportunity to build a little differently, 
Uh, it might mean building a net zero house. It might be, mean uh, testing new building materials. It might mean saying, all right, we've got three properties. Could we combine them to build perhaps a cottage court where you have green space surrounded by a cluster of smaller homes, not tiny houses, but smaller where here's a little community, it might be singles or it might be seniors or people who just don't wanna be, have a, a three bedroom, two bath house and a big yard to manage. Um, so those are all things that we need to explore and look at collectively as a community and figure out, right, what fits with our current needs and also with our future needs. Well, the future sounds very bright for Habitat is there anything you want to add or mention that I have not asked? Chelsea, you've asked some phenomenally great questions. I wish you were interviewing me on all the interviews I've had. Um, I, th I think we've covered the big things, except that uh, I just want to say thank you to your listeners for you know, engaging in a conversation about housing and to please pick up the phone. We all love to talk about housing and community impact and what we can do together to make it better for everyone. Thank you. That is a perfect way to end this show, I think. Um, thank you so much for your tremendous work in our community. We love that you are in Jefferson Parish. We love that we are partnering together. It is just so exciting um, for us to, to have this opportunity to work with Habitat and, and to have an opportunity to talk with you. This has been a really illuminating and just lovely conversation. So thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you, Kelsey. It's been a pleasure being here. A big thanks to Marguerite for taking time out of her busy schedule to be on the show. We've shared links to the New Orleans Area Habitat for Humanity website in our show notes and included a link to Marguerite's email in our blog post on the JEDCO website in case you'd like to connect about becoming a donor or a volunteer. For now, we'll be taking a brief hiatus from the show and look forward to bringing you new episodes of the Jefferson Parish Pulse in season six soon. In the meantime, we have five great seasons of episodes for you to catch up on. We share links to all of our episodes on social media. You can follow us at Twitter and Instagram at Jedco underscore news, on Facebook at Jefferson Parish Economic Development, and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com backsplash company backsplash JP Economic Development. You can also visit our website at jedco.org. Please feel free to leave us a rating or a review. Wherever you stream your favorite shows, your feedback helps others find the show and listen in, which helps us share the stories of our key partners and business leaders more widely. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you back here soon.